Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This to me is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. I'm not really here for all of the document drama. I think it's far more significant that while Eric Swalwell was saying that he had evidence that Donald Trump was a Russian agent, there were actually people in the FBI that turned out later to be Russian agents. Uh, You know, that is just so crazy to me that that would occur in our country. Uh, As for the documents, I mean, hey, by the end of this thing, Sean, the only person that might be able to run for president is like Larry Hogan or something. Uh, I think that having people in the national security apparatus trying to shape the presidential field is probably not a good thing, regardless of your political persuasion. I don't think that uh, Mike Pence did anything wrong here. And Donald Trump made that point as well. And good morning. Of course, that was Representative Matt Gates on the Sean Hannity show last night talking about the document drama. And I have to agree with him that uh, it should not be left up to the deep state and the bureaucrats in Washington to go around uh, finding a bunch of documents and then telling we the people who we can and cannot uh, vote for for president. But that looks like this is really the objective of uh, the deep state is to try to take out Joe Biden from contention in 2024 and also Donald Trump. And so now we have this breaking news yesterday that one of Vice President Pence's lawyers found classified documents in the former vice president's home in Indiana. So according to the Associated Press, documents with classified markings were discovered in former Vice President Mike Pence's Indiana home last week, his lawyer told the National Archives in a letter. The records appear to be a small number of documents, uh, this is about a dozen or so other reports have suggested, bearing classified markings that were inadvertently boxed and transported to the personal home of the former vice president at the end of of the last administration. Pence's lawyer Greg Jacob wrote in the letter. He said that Pence engaged outside counsel with experience in handling classified documents to review records stored in his personal home after it became public that documents with classified markings were found in President Joe Biden's Wilmington residence. So this is really fascinating to me because uh, Pence had also told a CNN anchor in an exclusive interview back in November of last year uh, when discussing the document drama surrounding uh, President Trump and the Mar-a-Lago raid that he did not have any classified documents. He was very clear, not that well, no, we didn't pack any, not to my knowledge, or, you know, my, my staffers were told not to. Of course, we, we wouldn't ever want to do that. You know, anything, he was unequivocal about saying, no, I don't have classified documents, and uh, saying something along the lines that there would be no reason to ever take classified documents. So now that Joe Biden uh, has had this whole scandal that was back in November, but we only learned about it, of course, after the midterms, now suddenly... Mike Pence is hiring his own outside counsel to go and look through his documents. Uh, this, this to me, uh, as a lawyer on several levels, is just bizarre because uh, if you don't have consciousness of guilt, if you uh, just are looking the at the news and saying, "Okay, Joe Biden has some documents that were found in his home," what would prompt you 
to then hire your own lawyer to come in and look for something that you've already told in a nationally publicized interview that you don't have. So I think there's a lot more going on here. And the uh, there from Hot Air, which is which is also an affiliate of, of Town Hall, Ed Morrissey suggests this. Uh, he says, what does this mean politically? It probably lets Joe Biden off the hook or at least provides enough of a distraction to cool the temperature around his scandal. Biden and his team certainly didn't embrace the everyone does it defense when Donald Trump deployed it, but you can bet they'll grasp at it now. Uh, so is this really something where now that that Pence, who, um, you know, of course, has has been at odds with Donald Trump on multiple levels. Um, they've certainly had no uh, real friendly type of relationship. Is this now something that he is trying to help Joe Biden? Um, it's, it's very interesting that his personal counsel would then just disclose this to the National Archives and say, you know, oh, hey, oops, we're sorry. Here you go. Um, but this also to me suggests, do we need to have better security and parameters around our classified documents, because if it's just as easy as a staffer inadvertently stashing, you know, allegedly nuclear codes when it came to uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid uh, or anything that's in these classified documents, we have no idea the substance of what is in Pence's yet, but it's it's come out that potentially uh, there were documents related to Ukraine and China that were found with Joe Biden. Um, this should give us pause at least that maybe our most sensitive material isn't really being handled all that well by people in Washington. So, of course, the the more conspiracy theory flip side to that, and I only say conspiracy theory because it's it's speculation, but conspiracy theories lately have, have turned out to be just news about six months in advance. But the conspiracy theory, of course, is that now uh, the the deep state apparatus that uh, Matt Gates alluded to is is just distributing a lot of these documents to essentially take out the upper echelon of the people that they don't want to run for president. Um, so whether or not Mike Pence is collaborating with that is is a question. Whether or not that's true is a question. But I think there's a whole host of questions that we as the American people just don't know the answer to. And I think we need to be very considered to look at what's going on in the news, but not just take this at face value and ask, what in the world is going on? So, uh, of course, Senator Lindsey Graham, who is one of the rhinos in chief, in my opinion, uh, up on Capitol Hill, and you know, and I've met him on multiple occasions, and you know, he's, he's a very nice guy, um, was very uh, anti-Trump, then pro-Trump, then anti-Trump, then, you know, who knows what, uh, but he always seems to rhino, uh, Republican in name only, it, of course, is the acronym, at the worst possible moments when you think, Lindsey Graham, why did you even have to jump into the conversation? It, it just doesn't matter. Um, but he was asked by a reporter yesterday on Capitol Hill about the Biden docs. And this is what he had to say. This is cut seven. What are your national security questions? I just, what was, you know, what are the same thing for Trump? I mean, why did you do it? What were in the documents? How were they held? Who had access to them? Um, let me just say this. I've known President Biden for a long time. I don't think there's, I would be shocked if there's anything sinister here. I would be shocked if there's anything sinister here. I mean, he's bolstering the credibility of Joe Biden, who is possibly the worst president in American history, just suggesting, well, I've known him a long time. So, you know, hey, I, I don't think there's anything sinister here. Well, 
Okay. Uh, I mean, that really gives us nothing. But why would Lindsey Graham even bother to comment? And it wouldn't it have been more prudent to say, we need to ask all of these questions. And of course, we need to not focus on the political questions. We need to focus on the legal questions. Because uh, really, if we look back in history, um, now even Politico and the Associated Press and the mainstream media that has been no friend to Donald Trump or Republicans, they're now backing off and suggesting, you know, this isn't the first time that uh, classified documents have found their way into uh, ex-president's offices and other places that they shouldn't have been. And really, the Presidential Records Act um, hasn't been enforced in terms of any sort of uh, Department of Justice intervention. So, Why wouldn't Lindsey Graham just ask those questions and say, hey, we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to look at our protocols. And as administrations are packing up their documents, maybe they need to be a little bit more careful here. Uh, Maybe we need to have a better system for processing classified documents at ex-presidents, new offices and vice presidents and even, uh, you know, any other members of an administration. And, you know, I mean, I, I worked um, as an attorney, as, as a, um, a contract attorney um, for the Department of State years ago um, on a case where we actually went into a classified courtroom. So everything that surrounded that case was classified. And we handled a huge repository of online documents, uh, many of which were classified. And there is no way, even as a lawyer or any of uh, the lawyers who were actually employed uh, by the State Department, I was just contracted to help with that work. Um, This is when I was a a fairly new lawyer. And none of them, to my knowledge, were even able to take things out of uh, classified areas. They certainly couldn't handle that on their personal computer. Um, Even on the desktops that we had, there was a different mode to switch from, okay, you're in a classified location and banner. You have to put in your ID. There were several different authentication factors to then have a classified flag that then you're able to access certain things online versus not. And so these, of course, are paper documents um, in folders that we're talking about, to to my knowledge. Um, there's been no suggestion that uh, any of these things were found on you know hard drives or anything like that. It seems to be uh, manila folders. And of course, we saw that, uh, that, that very staged photograph from the Mar-a-Lago raid that were physical documents. But how can those just so easily get into a box and put into Joe Biden's garage? I think we have a lot of questions surrounding this. And now that Pence has just on his own initiative gone and said, oh, by the way, National Archives, here's a dozen documents. At minimum, even if we say, okay, nobody here broke the law in terms of having any sort of uh, penalties and Uh, This isn't a deep state maneuver to get rid of Biden and Trump running again, or if it is to say, hey, look, everybody has documents, so we're getting rid of everybody. Um, Regardless of where the law falls on those, and, and the legal analysis should not depend on the political outcome, by the way. We should never, ever look at the lens of the law to suggest a political outcome. But regardless of that question, we also, I think, need to ask the question, how is our process in handling these types of classified documents? Because if it's that easy to get out, is it even easier then for someone like Hunter Biden, who allegedly is paying close to $50,000 a month uh, in rent to the location where 
the Biden classified documents were found that he now uh, ha- would have access to that to potentially, I don't know, sell them to some of our uh, foreign enemies to uh, potentially China or even some of our allies like like Ukraine. I mean, who knows? And so so I think that those types of questions uh, need to be asked. So we're going to have uh, Representative Perry on um, in the last segment uh, here on the show today to talk more about uh, these documents and about uh, that issue from his perspective and what we can expect from Capitol Hill and expect that this uh, weaponization of government committee will look into, but also um, hopefully there will be some congressional oversight or even some oversight from the Department of Justice. Um, if they are not political in in their contemplation and their, their view of this situation, to just look at uh, as an executive agency, what is our process for handling this? Because I'm not convinced that uh, you know, with this type of, of ridiculous sort of action that uh, Biden and now Pence have participated in. I mean, it seems like President Trump at least had uh, those documents contained in a secure facility that was known. Uh, there were protocols around that. But with these just, you know, found in um, in a garage and, you know, in a home in Indiana, then what does that tell us about our national security? Well, uh, lastly, speaking of our national security, Uh, McCarthy put an end to Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell on the Intelligence Committee, and he actually gave a really, really fiery uh, speech about this, and and it's a couple of minutes long, so um, so I'll play this hopefully a little longer on the show because we're almost up against a hard break, but um, this was actually total fire from Kevin McCarthy responding to a reporter saying, this is not political at all. This is about the actions that Adam Schiff took while he was a member of the January 6th committee and um, and also during the Mueller investigation to specifically um, misrepresent certain things. And he should not be on the Intelligence Committee. Kevin McCarthy also suggested uh, to the reporter that if uh, she had had the same intelligence briefing that he had, there is no way that any American would be confident in Eric Swalwell sitting on the Intelligence Committee. That's not a political contemplation. That is a concern for our national intelligence. And I'm proud of Kevin McCarthy for saying that and for making it very clear this is not retribution because now we're in the majority. This isn't Republican, Democrat, tit for tat. This is making sure that we are protecting our national interests. Uh, So you're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning. We will be right back. Preborn celebrates that Roe versus Wade has been overturned. Roe has been responsible for the slaughter of over 63 million babies. Now the decision to abort a child will be left in the hands of the states, and sadly, abortions will continue in the most liberal states. Over the past 16 years, Preborn has positioned their clinics in the top abortion cities where 50% of abortions occur. Preborn's work of saving babies' lives continues at an even greater level as they save babies' lives and defend their centers from the radical hate groups who want to shut them down. 
Preborn's response is dependent on you, the pro-life community. Be a part of rescuing lives and changing hearts for Christ. $28 sponsors one ultrasound and $140 will help to rescue five babies' lives. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby or go to preborn.com. All gifts are tax deductible. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. They were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Cracks are beginning to form between evangelical Christians and former President Trump. A growing number of evangelical leaders say they prefer Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. And many leaders are making it clear they've not been very happy with President Trump's behavior post-presidency. Bob Vanderplatz, the president of Family Leaders, says it's time to turn the page and call on Americans to move on from Trump. Dr. Everett Piper, the former president of a Christian university, said Trump is hurting evangelicals, not helping. And influential evangelical leader James Robinson says the former president behaved like a petty elementary school child. President Trump fired back by blasting evangelicals for not supporting his 2024 presidential bid, accused them of being disloyal. The president did more for evangelicals than any other Republican president in history, from pro-life justices on the Supreme Court to relocating the embassy to Jerusalem. And it sounds to me like a bunch of petty, ungrateful backstabbers. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, we're talking about uh, Kevin McCarthy and how his fire on uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell yesterday with a reporter uh, was not political at all. It was just suggesting that, you know, hey, maybe they're not competent to serve on the Intelligence Committee. So as promised, uh, let's play this clip from Kevin McCarthy before we get to our next guest. So this is Cut 9. You just raised a question. I'm going to be very clear with you. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop, 
He used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the intel, if you talk to um, John Radcliffe, DNI, he came out ahead of time and says there's no intel to prove that, and he used his position as chairman, knowing he has information the rest of America does not, and lied to the American public. When a whistleblower came forward, he said he, he did not know the individual, even though his staff had met with him and set it up. So no, he does not have a right to sit on that. But I will not be like Democrats and play politics with these, where they removed Republicans from committees and all committees. So yes, he can serve on a committee, but he will not serve on intel, because it goes to the national security of America, and I will always put them first, all right? And if you want to talk about Swalwell, let's talk about Swalwell, because you have not had the briefing that I had. I had the briefing, and Nancy Pelosi had the briefing from the FBI. The FBI never came before this Congress to tell the leadership of this Congress that Eric Swalwell had a problem with a Chinese spy until he served on intel. So it wasn't just us who were concerned about it. The FBI was concerned about putting a member of Congress on the intel committee that has the rights to see things that others don't because of his knowledge and relationship with a Chinese spy. They brought it to the works of the leaders. I've got that briefing. So I do not believe he should sit on there, that committee. And I believe there's 200 other Democrats that can serve on that committee. So this has nothing to do with Santos. Santos is not on the Intel Committee. But you know what? Those voters elected Schiff, even though he lied. Those voters elected Swalwell, even though he lied to the American public, too. So you know what? I'll respect his voters, too, and they'll serve on committees. But they will not serve on a place that has national security reverence because integrity matters to me. That's the answer to your question. That was House Speaker Kevin McCarthy with absolute fire uh, to a reporter about Schiff and Swalwell yesterday. And I would give him a 10 out of 10 so far in uh, his speakership. And so uh, Representative Scott Perry will join us a little later on in the program to respond to that. Uh, But I'm so pleased now to uh, welcome a good friend, uh, Pastor uh, Tom Askell, who um, is going to respond to a a clip from Andy Stanley and... um, Tom, so great that you can join me today. And of course, he is the pastor of Grace Baptist Church and the president of Founders Ministry. And, um, you know, we we have been talking about uh, Andy Stanley and rightly dividing scripture for um, quite a while. And I think that the, the trajectory of his uh, ministry is, is really alarming and people need to uh, be very aware and understanding of how the manipulation and the sleight of hand with not only interpreting scripture, but also advocating from the pulpit has really, really been led astray. So um, first, I want to I want to play this uh, clip from Andy Stanley and then have uh, Tom respond to this. So this is cut five. Once upon a time, there was a version of the Christian faith that was practically irresistible. But that was then. The Bible says doesn't carry the weight that it once did. But in spite of this, we preach, teach, write, and communicate as if nothing has changed, as if the Bible says it still settles it. I believe it's time we hit pause on much of what we're doing and consider the faith modeled by our first century brothers and sisters, a group that had no official Bible, no status, and humanly speaking, very little chance of survival. What did they know? we don't. What made their faith so compelling, so defensible, so irresistible? 
We'll discover the answer to those questions together, and we will discover a version of faith stronger than Roman steel and tougher than Roman nails. A version that the ancient world found. So that was Andy Stanley, um, I believe, promoting a new book. Uh, and so that that's why you hear the kind of Hollywood dramatic music in the background. But Tom Askell, uh, your response to this uh, this allegation, basically, that uh, the first century Christians who didn't have an official Bible had more faith than we do now. Yeah. Well, Jenna, thanks uh, for having me on. And uh, what a tragedy to hear Andy Stanley make that kind of statement. It's ignorant, it's wrong, and it's dangerous. Uh, the, anyone who's read the New Testament would know that there are hundreds of quotes in the New Testament from the Old Testament. And so you read the book of Acts and you see the way that they went about, Paul, and Barnabas, Silas, and Peter, others, went about evangelizing the Roman world in the first century, which he appeals to and says that's what we need to do again. They are quoting the Old Testament repeatedly. And if, and if you add to the direct quotes, allusions, there's over a thousand allusions to the Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. So yes, amen, let's follow the example of our uh, New Testament leaders, but if we do so, we're not going to do what Andy Stanley's proposing. Uh, it just seems to me that he is betraying a real lack of confidence in the authority, the sufficiency, and the power of the Word of God, and he thinks he's figured out a better way, a way that can be less offensive, a way that people in this culture that is uh, very postmodern, that is completely uh, opposed to objective truth, and certainly the Word of God as the revelation of objective truth, he thinks he's found a way that will cause folks with that mindset to embrace him and therefore let him give whatever message he thinks will be good for them. And I'm talking with uh, Pastor Tom Askell, and I, I think you, you've absolutely nailed that because he also had another clip that, just for sake of time, I'm not going to play, that uh, he's actually teaching from the pulpit of his church, saying that the gay men and women in his church actually have more faith than he does, and to come into the church and uh, and come repeatedly when they don't feel welcome, when they will feel ostracized. Wow, you know, they're coming with more faith than we do, and we need to emulate that example. Um, that suggests to me exactly what you're saying, that he is just trying to uh, bridge the tenets of Scripture with a non-offensive and watered down and ultimately non-gospel message. Yeah, I agree. I heard that, too. He just cringed uh, at that. He, he refers to Romans 1, Leviticus, and uh, 1 Corinthians 6. He says, I know all those verses, but we're not going to use clobber passages on this. Clobber passages? I mean, all scriptures breathed out by God. It's all profitable. And yet again, here's Andy saying, yeah, but we're not going to use those because I've figured out a better way. What grieves me most about this, I mean, it's not only wrong, it's not only heretical, but it cuts off the very people that he says, and he's suggesting that he cares for and loves. It cuts them off from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is a Savior for sinners, for real sin. And if you tell someone they're not a sinner or they don't have real sin, then they don't need Jesus at that point. So to tell someone who's given over to homosexuality that he can be a faithful Christian and hold on to that sin, you are in essence saying to them, you don't need Christ. The gospel is not for you, because Jesus didn't come to call the righteous, as he said, but sinners to repentance. And I hate the fact 
that people will listen to Andy Stanley and they'll say, oh, good, I could be a gay Christian and uh, I can have more faith than my heterosexual uh, friends or Christian friends. He is destroying any hope of real redemption for people, not just homosexuals, but anyone who is a sinner but doesn't want to own up to the reality of the rebellion against God and their need of forgiveness. Yeah, it's, well, I know Leviticus and Romans and those other passages, but, I mean, that should be a huge red flag to any sincere Christian who's listening to this. And this isn't just Andy Stanley. I mean, he's one of the most prominent, uh, I think, heretics out uh, preaching. But this has been a a message that the watered-down church um, in a variety of contexts and, and among a lot of pastors, unfortunately, has continued uh, to preach. And, and why do you think it is, Tom Askell, that specifically the sexual sins are the ones that, that these pastors are trying to carve out and say, well, that's okay. We don't want to offend you on this. I mean, we'll still, we'll still say that other things are wrong, but this, we, we don't want to offend people who are in the LGBT community or however they're choosing uh, to exercise sexual sin. Well, there's lots of answers to that question in my mind. I think perhaps the most immediate prominent, those cowardice. They are afraid of what will happen if they speak the unvarnished truth as it is written in God's Word. They don't want to be uh, canceled. They don't want to be described as troglodytes or as those who are full of hatred. And so here's the, here's the play. They would, they would rather be thought loving while, in fact, biblically speaking, being hateful than to be thought hateful while, in fact, biblically speaking, being loving. Because love rejoices in truth. And if you love me, you will tell me the truth. And if that hurts me, uh, you, you'll, your love for me will overcome the fear of being, uh, my being hurt or even uh, re- reacting to that in a way that oppresses you or tries to cancel you. But if you don't love me, well, then you'll tell me what you think will be palatable to me and receive my applause. And I think that's exactly what's going on with so many pastors today. I, I, I hate to say it, but I think bottom line is there's just a basic cowardice that is mixed with biblical ignorance that fears people more than they fear God. Mm, that's so well said. I mean, if we fear man instead of God, then that will lead us to not stand up for the truth and the things of God. And uh, Tom, as you're looking at the trajectory of the American church and seeing how um, this is, of course, yeah, there are other countries that are dealing with this same problem of cowardice, but specifically American pastors. Uh, what would be your message, and, and you are so great at this, of standing firm and not uh, not caring what the objections are, but firmly teaching the truth of the Word of God. What would be your message to other pastors to make sure that they are not um, either purposefully or even just out of um, ease misinterpreting Scripture and, and doing some of these things that people like Andy Stanley and others are um, how would you suggest to them to stand firm in the midst of uh, the cultural careening off of this cliff? Yeah, well, we talk about that a lot about here in Cape Coral, uh, Florida, with my fellow pastors. And I think what we've lived through these last few years is merely preface to what is coming. So I don't think we have begun to see the intensity of opposition and uh, response that will have severe consequences for those who are going to stand for truth. And the bottom line is we have a book, 
as pastors, we, we are stewards of truth. We're going to stand to give an account one day. Hebrews thirteen seventeen rings in my mind all the time that one day we will give an account to God for how we have led the people of God that the Lord himself has entrusted to us, that leadership. So I would want to say to my fellow pastors, men, uh, it is time to act like men. It is time to humble yourself and take on all of the responsibilities that Christ has entrusted to you to live boldly, to hope with great anticipation of the fulfillment of his promises, to remember that what we have in Jesus Christ is greater than anything this world can throw at us. Christ is king. Jesus is Lord. And so if uh, if we perish, then, then let us perish being faithful to him. But do not compromise, because the only hope this world has is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we compromise that, who is going to stand up and declare that truth? There's no other institution given in this world by God except the church to proclaim the message that sets captives free, that reconciles men and women to God. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. And it needs to be preached unvarnished and without apology, with love, and with great hope and confidence, knowing that this is indeed God's Word. It's not something we've made up. We're stewards of it, and our job is to get the message right. So well said. And I'm talking with Pastor Tom Askell. Uh, and, you know, Tom, in just the last uh, minute or so that I have with you, um, for people who are listening to that and thinking, yes, absolutely, I want to go to a church that teaches uh, the, the unvarnished truth and is rightly dividing scripture. But, um, you know, a lot of people have been very discouraged in the midst of um, the COVID pandemic mm-hmm. and how some of those pastors responded, or maybe uh, they they feel like they have no alternative but to go to one of these mega churches that is watering down the gospel. What's your advice to them on seeking a good church? Yeah, well, it's more important than having a good job or having a good education. I, I say all the time, find a healthy church and build your life around it. If there's not one near you, then consider moving to where one exists. It's, it's that important, and it will be more important in the years ahead. At founders.org, the ministry that I'm uh, president of, we have a church search list on our site. So you can Google your, uh, or not Google, but you can search your address or your zip code and find churches in your area. We, there's, there's not a lot. There's maybe a thousand churches or so, or a little less than that. But uh, we put churches on there that we have some level of confidence in. We don't know them all personally. But you can go to that church search at founders.org, and that could at least be a starting point for seeing if there's a church in your area that might be helpful uh, to you. That's so great. And uh, thank you so much, uh, Pastor Tom Askell, for standing firm on the truth. And that's that's actually encouraging to know that there's at least a thousand churches uh, in the nation that, that you all would at least suggest, okay, for what we know, that's a really good church. I mean, that's probably more than I would have anticipated would be on the list. So I think that's actually encouraging. Uh, so we're going to be right back and talk more about the uh, Biden documents with Representative Scott Perry. You're listening to Jenna Ellis in the morning right here on America. American Family Radio Network. What is the most important truth that you'll ever hear? Here's Pastor Jeff Shreve. What is the message of the cross of Jesus Christ? The cross of Jesus Christ just screams out, I love 
you. Discover the power that is available to you through the cross of Christ. Join Pastor Jeff Shreve on From His Heart each weeknight at 6 Central here on American Family Radio. What do you do when your child talks back? Raising your voice and threatening won't work. On the next Focus on the Family, Ginger Hubbard suggests a better way to deal with that negative conduct in a three-step plan. Using scripture as the foundation, she'll help you get to the heart of the matter. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The prophet Isaiah diagnosed the condition of the rebellious nation of Judah prior to its conquest and exile by Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 59 of his book. He explained that Judah's transgressions separated the nation from Yahweh. Due to Judah's sinfulness, truth had fallen in the streets. The consequences for their rejection of truth was that lawlessness abounded. Similarly, truth has been rejected in our nation. Abundant lawlessness is the consequence for a nation that has turned away from the Lord. Repentance is what is needed in our nation, starting in the church. Righteousness is what exalts a nation. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Let's see, if something costs less, but people are happier with it, that sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month. And that's huge, but it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want to plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back. And of course, the big news breaking yesterday was that Vice President Mike Pence and his uh, special counsel that he hired, his personal counsel, found documents about a dozen in his Indiana home. So this ongoing saga of the document scandal is very fascinating to watch. And uh, Representative Scott Perry from the great state of Pennsylvania joins me now. And uh, Representative Perry, congratulations on your appointment to the House Oversight Committee. You tweeted out, boy, do I have some questions. So, uh, so first, though, I want to get your reaction to um, the the news yesterday about Vice President Pence. What is your take on all the document drama? Well, unfortunately, it's probably not surprising. I think that we have overclassified so much uh, and kept so much from the American people. This is the result of that. But I must say that we have one standard. Um, we have one standard that that that's for everyone. And as a person who for a very long time, for decades, hold it, held the top secret uh, clearance in the military. 
we didn't mess around. Um, you knew that there was going to be trouble if there were any mishandling, there was any mishandling whatsoever of classified material. And th- that's just the way it was. And so we took it very, very seriously. I don't know the tenor of these documents, but you know, there's got to be, if we have rules, we got to follow them. If, um, if, if this doesn't matter, then, then, you know, for, for, for folks that are connected, then, then, uh, you know, this, this two system, this two standard thing is, uh, is very telling. And so I think there's a lot to unpack here, but it seems to me that this shows the complete and abject politicization of what happened to the, to the, uh, the former president of the United States with the raid on the home and, and all the things associated with that. And, uh, it just shows the over top, over the top, kind of response, if you will, or actions by a weaponized federal government that uses the power, the awesome and incredible power of the federal government to go after its political adversaries. And um, that, that's, you know, that's something that we think about in, in third world countries and, and dictatorships around the world, not the free country of America. And it's a sign that things are badly, very badly off track. Yeah, Representative Perry, you, you tweeted a few days ago, Democrats get searched, Republicans get raided. And I think that's a, a perfect encapsulation of the distinctions and the two-tiered uh, justice system. And so one of the questions that I had initially with Vice President Pence is maybe he was um, either concerned by or or tipped off that uh, he was going to be searched and wanted to get ahead of it. Um, you know, that's, that's pure speculation and that's a potential I think, you know, we'll, we'll see uh, in the days to come. But But I really have a concern, and I think Americans should share the concern, that if it's this easy to get classified documents out of uh, SCIFs and out of um, special contained facilities, then can we be confident that our government at the highest level is handling classified documents well? Should there be a change to the process? It sure seems like something is very much amiss. You know, look, I, I don't know if your mindset changes when you're the president or the vice president, I just know as a military officer, um, we handled them very, very carefully and, and with, with the us, utmost um, um, responsibility. I, I just can't tell you how – look, in the military, they're not fooling around, right? If you mishandle classified documents – there's a good chance that you're going to kind of be in the brig first and they're going to ask questions later. No one, everyone knew that's a career ender. Everyone knew the gravity of the situation. I think that there very much is a overclassification of everything. I mean, when we hear that the Kennedy assassination documents now, how many years on decades and decades later still have to be classified um, so that the American people can't know the true story and the full story about their own president all these years later, that, that has to be a concern. So I think there is an overclassification problem. I think there's a problem with the government keeping secrets from the people that own the government, which is the American citizen. But I also think that there is apparently a cavalier attitude at the highest level towards these documents. Now, I'm not saying that any one of the presidents or vice presidents did this personally. Like, you know, I would say that I don't know that that President Biden packed his documents any more than I think that President Trump sat in his sweatpants on the floor of the overall office and, you know, said, hey, honey, pay, you know, let's put those documents in this box. Uh, you know, 
it seems to me that that's probably a lot of the work of staff members around these individuals, and especially in the case of of the former president. Um, you know, there are people that were obviously not in his corner working in, in close collaboration with the president. You wonder if the whole thing was set up to begin with. And I don't know if the same thing could have happened to President Biden or the vice president of President Pence, any of that. But I know that we better get a handle on this. We better figure out what's important, safeguard the the, uh, the secrets of involved national security and, and potential enemies or adversaries. And the other stuff that the American people need to know about, should know about, belongs to them, should be known to them. Yeah, that, and that's a great point, and uh, and that leads to the American people questioning whether all of this document drama is just a pretext for something uh, more sinister, and we should always answer first the legal questions with no distinction between Democrats or Republicans or the political outcome uh, before we turn to the political questions, but it seems like the mainstream media is so always so focused on just the political questions. Um, but I want to turn now to uh, Kevin McCarthy. And um, speaking of political questions, uh, the reporter that asked him why Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell are not on uh, the Intel Committee. And his response, of course, was, well, they don't deserve to be. This is a matter of national security. If the reporter had gotten the briefing uh, that he did, then um, anyone would be concerned about the competency and the level of sufficiency uh, between Schiff and Swalwell, who are proven liars um, and have other issues with their their competency to handle that type of um, subject matter that is given on the Intelligence Committee. So um, what did you make of of that, um, those appointments from Kevin McCarthy, and how would you rate him currently uh, as speaker since, you know, you were the, one of the ones that strongly objected to him being a speaker? Uh, how would you rate his performance thus thus far? Thus far, since the uh, since the time of the objections in the speaker's race, I think he's done a very good job. He is uh, uh, he has lived up to every single one of the commitments that uh, we had uh, requested of him during that that impasse, if you will. We wanted to change things uh, the way things were done here in Congress, and we and we just knew that we couldn't spend two years fighting amongst each other. We need to we need to be allied and fighting against the the progressive left. That is destroying our culture and, and, and our country. Um, that having been said, on the particular issue of, of uh, Representative Schiff, Schiff and Swalwell, look, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats set the new standard. Now, it's an unfortunate standard for sure. Uh, I would like to see a process of due process, so to speak, in these matters. Uh, in, in the case of these two particular individuals, one who is uh, essentially admitted to sleeping with a foreign spy, and the other one who has lied about national secrets and taken the country down the road of this Russia-Trump uh, collusion fiasco for years, knowing that it, there was absolutely zero evidence of it and continuing to claim their evidence. I mean, clearly, I think an issue uh, or a circumstance of due process would have borne that out. I think in, in issues of... Uh, being seated on the intelligence committee, in particular, when you have that uh, that high that high a level of uh, infidelity, if you will, that something has to be done immediately. So I might have done it a little differently, but I think the results would be the same. You can't have people that uh, that are, are are so lax and uncaring about the uh, 
the security of the nation on the intelligence committee um and and there's got to be a there's got to be a remedy or a process for that i've long felt i will tell you as a person who has again held the national security clearance uh for many many decades the military doesn't mess around they spend a lot of time going through your background getting questions answered talking to your affiliates your family people that are you're associated with people that don't like you all those kind of things before they allow you to to be a part of of viewing and being involved in in the secrets of the nation in congress once you're elected what you do is you walk in and sign a piece of paper that says that uh, you know you won't divulge the secrets of the United States of America. There's no background check. There's a, there are many people in Congress and elective office that could not pass a standard background check for national security purposes, and that's a concern. And I think we have to deal with that. But until that time, uh, we've got to have some remedy. And uh, look, some people are going to disagree with the call. I get that. But I think the call had to be made for the appropriate reasons. And you can't say that these two actors are operating good in, in good faith and have a track record of not operating in good faith when it comes to um, critical information in our national security. I'm talking with Representative Scott Perry uh, from the great state of Pennsylvania. And you know, I, I think Kevin McCarthy parsed that really well and made an excellent distinction between the people's right to access the franchise and to select and prefer their leaders, even if for some strange reason they prefer Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell, they did elect them. But that doesn't mean then that they are entitled to serve on various committees. And that's why we have a majority. That's why we have a speaker that makes these types of appointments so that they can contemplate more than just you hold an elected office. And so Schiff is now on uh, the House Judiciary Committee, uh, as as I've um, seen the tweets this morning. And, uh, and so he has a committee assignment, but he doesn't have a committee assignment that in McCarthy's view is improper. And so, um, so I think that that's parsing it well without uh, saying to the American people, well, just because you elected someone that I don't like or is, um, is a member of the opposite party, then you know that's the reason. It makes sense for the reasons that he articulates. Um, but in just the last few minutes I have with you, Representative Perry, um, so w- with your position and your committee assignment on the House Oversight Committee, uh, what do you anticipate to uh, to find there? And in terms of subject matter, what are the priorities that the American people can expect? Well, Jenna, look, obviously, as in the military, we would call this a target-rich environment for oversight. And so there's so, so, so very much to look at, and will have to be delineated between the oversight committees, uh, that of, of judiciary oversight, the new weaponization committee, and, of course, every committee itself has potentially an oversight subcommittee to look at. But we're going to be looking at all the things that are plaguing the American people generally in the oversight committee. So you look at Big tech interference and censorship. You look at um, the 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 school board association, you know, talking directly with the FBI and trying to get them to put threat uh, tags on on parents who attended school board meetings. We need to get to the bottom of, quite honestly, government intrusion, overreach, and just basically being out of control with its authority and power over the American people. And so we're going to be looking all at all of that as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee and oversight. I'm sure we're going to be looking at uh, at the president's dealings with China and with Ukraine in particular, but across the board with his family, the things that potentially came out of his son's laptop. All those things are on the table. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to be professional. 
we're going to be judicious and we're going to make sure that uh, uh, that the, that due process is followed. But we are going to follow the facts, and when we find facts out that are stunning and and potentially um, point to potential criminal activity or otherwise, we're going to let the American people know what they are. That's fantastic. And and do you expect as well that uh, you will be looking into or any other committee will be looking into um, the NIH and its funding and uh, Fauci's relationship uh, potentially with China and and the whole COVID narrative? Yes, we are. That, that there's uh, There'll be a separate committee, actually, uh, two that are set up on that. One is the uh, the China Select Committee and, of course, one on COVID directly to, to look at all those things related to COVID, whether it's, you know, big pharma, the vax mandates, the mass mandates, the the impetus for all those things, uh, the 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 um, uh, I guess the discouragement of certain uh, drugs by um, big pharma and by government in collaboration that might have worked and saved lives. All those things are on the docket. But, Jenna, one of the problems we're going to have is the element of time. Um, we've got to get a lot done in a very short amount of time. You get two years, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of facts to be found. And, of course, the other side of the aisle was not interested in finding facts. They were used. They were interested in using the, the force and the power of the federal government and the legislature to go after their political rivals. So we almost have to start from zero. Wow. Well, Representative Perry, thank you so much for your dedication uh, to these next two years of truly fact-finding for the American people and for consistently and persistently uh, holding accountable those who need to be held accountable and uh, for doing the great work that you have been. Thank you so much, and I hope that you will uh, come back frequently and give us updates on uh, how things are going with the Oversight Committee and everything else in Congress. Where can people best uh, find out these things? Because obviously the mainstream media and even the conservative media generally doesn't cover stories that they have a bias against. So where would you suggest is the best way for people to follow you and follow the uh, the actions well, of Congress? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm at Rep Perry, um, just generally repperry.com, but you can check all the different committee, uh, whether it's the Foreign Affairs Committee or the House Oversight Committee or the Judiciary Committee's website to see what's upcoming and the things that they are, the letters that they have sent to the administration, requests, et cetera, all that stuff is out there. You do have to go look for it, though. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. And, you know, for those of you who may not have a Twitter account, that's really where you get a lot of the information. You can follow all of these representatives. And I would suggest that even if you're really passive, get a Twitter account. But I will be covering everything right here on Jenna Ellis in the morning. And I will see you tomorrow morning. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.